Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations just as much as I have so far. Now, here is Cointelegraph's Fenton Yarn, Maverick Finance's Alex Davis, Dogami's Bilal Al Aimi, and Tezos Omaiva, Framework Venture Capital's Michael Anderson, and Future Swap's Derek Alayal to discuss the rise of resistance and the rapid growth of DeFi, an industry that we have seen completely surge over the last few years. Let's see what we have to say. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is the Rise of the Resistance panel, the rapid growth of DeFi. I am your moderator, Benton from Cointelegraph, and we're going to go around the room today and have everyone introduce themselves. And we'll start with Ohm up top. Oh, that's cool. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Ohm Malvia. I am co-founder of uh, Plenty DeFi. This is and I, you know, you are, you, uh, there was just a talk right before this panel by Burn, who's also co-founder, and he gave pretty much idea about how Plenty DeFi is. So uh, just in brief, you know, from background, I'm software engineer. I've been working in this crypto space for the last five to six years, and uh, mainly in the in Indian region. And, you know, I've been uh, very uh, involved in the Indian crypto community to get all the things going on. And a very passionate believer of Tezos, its technology, and everything about Tezos, you know. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. One of the mad fan of Tezos, and you can always find me talking about it. That's great. excellent. And we'll go ahead and move over to Derek. Hey, everyone. Hopefully, you can hear me. Uh, I'm Derek Alia. I'm the CEO of FutureSwap. Um, FutureSwap is a perpetual platform uh, on Ethereum, currently on Arbitrum, and we offer leverage on uh, any Uniswap pool. So we're super excited for that. And uh, yeah, been in DeFi for a while. And um, it's been a crazy journey and um, super excited to give some insight of what I've seen in, on the front lines. Excellent. And we'll move down to Bilal. Hello, everyone. I'm Bilal from Paris. Um, I'm an entrepreneur uh, from the Tezos ecosystem. Uh, I've built a couple of ventures. One of them is called Equisafe, which, which is one of the leading tokenization platforms in Europe. I've uh, got a couple of licenses and regulated to do so. Um, I'm also the founder of, uh, more recently, of the Venture Studio, uh, focused on developing ventures in, for the business ecosystem. Uh, it's called Pirates Lab. And we've developed a bunch of different tools for developers, uh, like a new programming language that, that is called PyNiche. Um, and we've also participated in the creation of a couple of ventures. One of them is SmartLink. Uh, which is a decentralized exchange that is uh, gamified on Tezos. And the other one is a play to earn game called Dogami, uh, which is midway between Tamagotchi, uh, Pokemon Go, and Nintendo. Excellent. And Michael, we'll move to you next. Awesome. Um, hey, everybody. I'm Michael, co founder of Framework Ventures. We're uh, a venture fund that invests in mostly DeFi, uh, some other things as well. Uh, Derek is one of our portfolio founders. Um, so we're excited to be here. Excellent. And last but not least, Alex. Hey, Ben. Thanks, everyone. Uh, my name is Alex Davis. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Tezos Israel, a grantee organization to build the, uh, from the foundation to build the Tezos ecosystem uh, from Israeli startups. And uh, the founder of Maverick Finance, a, a decentralized finance ecosystem, uh, more than just a protocol, but an entire ecosystem that's uh, being built on Tezos as we speak. 
Excellent. So we have a wide array of backgrounds here today to talk about DeFi and the rapid growth that we've seen, especially over the last year. So I, I want to kick things off today because uh, this is something we've seen. And I want to know from your perspectives individually, why has, has DeFi seemingly caught fire in the past six to 12 months? And why have we seen this sudden surge? And I'll go ahead and start with, uh, with Derek here. Yeah, I would say because it's financially the most interesting and exciting place to be. Um, there's an incredible amount of opportunity, an incredible amount of growth. It's redefining uh, institutional finance in so many ways, uh, but be, being built in the ethos of and in the spirit of Ethereum um, and decentralization. And those creative forces and those values are now basically rebuilding uh, in a way what was previously built, but in a, in a far better way that captures value um, that was pretty much unrealized and allows anyone to participate. Um, so it's, it's one of the largest wealth uh, growth periods that we've seen in, in many, many years. And I think it's going to continue growing. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it's so, Om, I'm also curious to hear for like your insights, uh, like in regards to like what you're seeing, uh, where is DeFi heading next, uh, especially kind of inside of the, the Tezos ecosystem? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, the DeFi, the decentralized finance, uh, this is kind of the keyword actually came later on when there was, you know, some sort of uh, that were already built on top of Ethereum, right? So the idea of this entire new ecosystem is, you know, you do finance, you do everything that you do in the traditional finance, but in a decentralized way. So, right. So I think in 2017, there were a lot of ideas about decentralized uh, exchanges, which were audible based, and then came Uniswap into the picture, which introduced AMM, which, you know, solved a lot, lot of problems. And now, and I'm talking about general industry overview, the DeFi is heading towards uh, more, more, it, it is becoming more and more complex, more and more structured. And it's, it's sort of, you know, uh, not there yet, but it's trying to uh, go into ways uh, where, you know, at one point of time, it could be used by, uh, for example, institutional institutions uh, with certain, with, with, with the kind of uh, financial products that have, for example, derivatives, future, et cetera, right? But on, on Tezos, then, you know, we are, we are talking about all this DeFi in a bigger sense. Uh, they look at if I could be this, if I, if I could be that, but the, but there's uh, there are many fundamentals uh, that supports uh, that supports this kind of uh, instruments or this kind of uh, products, you know. And one of the core thing is you know uh, the blockchain that you are building on top of it, right? And uh, these these kind of products they usually uh, have billions of dollars, millions of dollars of value. So you want to make sure that you know. Uh, the blockchain you are choosing is going to last, let's say, for then five or ten or fifteen or maybe fifty years on the line, and you want to make sure they are not going to be uh, issues such as forks, and you want to make sure that you know uh, the transactions and everything are cheaper. So that's where I'm thinking about uh, why the future of DeFi already it the, the DeFi started, uh, it or you could say it was uh, born on Ethereum, but I think you know we are going to uh, see slowly to. Uh, to, to, we are going to see that all these cool DeFi ideas and you know, financial instruments basically are going to shift to blockchains such as Tezos, you know, which are basically inherently more secure, built on uh, better software uh, design architecture, 
and they are going to you know uh, bring uh, bring a lot of value back to the users who are using it they can just they can be you know uh, a lot of composability between different uh, different defi protocol as well and uh, this space is so fast you know we have seen so many innovation happening in such a short amount of time that you also want to that you also really want to be sure that you uh, upgrade to the latest technological advance, advancement you know as soon as possible right so i think that's what tezos yeah. has proven itself to be and i think you know uh, i am really excited and fascinated to see you know how it grows on tezos it is already growing in a very good space uh, in, a, in a great yeah. way but yeah it's going to be awesome and so I think Omen and Derek kind of touched on on this point in regards to, to the inception of DeFi, whether it started on Ethereum, the ethos behind DeFi itself. Uh, at any point, do you all feel like DeFi was counterculture at some point? And where do you all envision this space moving towards more of a mainstream and, and how do we get there? Uh, Michael, I'll kick this one to you. Sure. Yeah. So uh, DeFi started off as counterculture because it's the anti-finance uh, and, and that's what DeFi represents. DeFi really represents the ability to have the first developer sandbox for finance. And, and that opportunity means that orders of magnitude, less cost and time it takes to build any sort of financial product that you want and be able to release that to tens of millions of people. And so that that's a fundamental innovation. Where it goes from here, I think we need to have DeFi bridge the gap between fintech and, and DeFi. I actually think DeFi is probably not the best way of describing what we're talking about. Open source finance might be the better way of describing it, because really what we're talking about is open source technology meeting finance. And, and for the first time ever, we actually have the opportunity to do that. Uh, and so where we go from here is really being able to have financial products that have inclusion with financial institutions and having them built into the system is actually, you know, where I think DeFi needs to go. So, so Michael, I guess what I'm hearing is that, like you're saying to bridge the gaps between traditional finance and DeFi, uh, it needs to kind of DeFi needs to kind of be a part of the traditional finance system. Yeah, I think what we've had so far is uh, a non KYC, non AML, uh, very much counterculture, kind of fringe internet uh, culture around DeFi. But where we need to go eventually is bridging the gap between what we have with with KYC, what we have with AML, what we have with fintech, and actually having financial in financial inclusion with the financial institutions that we are talking about, because they're they're going to be the ones that bring all the value, and and ultimately they're going to be the ones that probably end up using this just as much as individuals. But I think that that's kind of the, the bridge that we need to build. It's so, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I, I wanted to jump in because I was very interesting what Michael was saying, and I would like to add something. Um, sure. I think to bring in more institu institutionals and, and traditional traders to experiment on decentralized exchanges and DeFi ecosystem, um, I think we also need more uh, trading tools, analytic tools uh, to guide uh, everyone uh, today in terms of, uh, of data analytics on DEX. Um, it, it's pretty, uh, how can I say, uh, it's pretty weak, um, but that's come from the different constraints of the technology because even though it brings a huge value uh, in terms of building this marketplaces or marketplace for, for value, um, but in terms technologically, it's like going back in the 80s. And so <clears throat> the, the, the very low throughput that is currently allowed uh, by the blockchain um, 
implies some constraints on loading this kind of information. And what's good with Tezos also, since it's improving itself through time, it allows also more easily to build those kind of tools and improve uh, the current uh, the current dexes that 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 you that you that are built on on top of the technology. Let's see, I, 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 did you want to add something there? <laughs> yeah, I've been like hope, yeah. like uh, dying to jump in on the KYC. <laughs> Get part. in here, man. <laughs> um, I I actually love this because I spoke about this in Gibraltar at the Crypto Gibraltar Summit, and people ask me like, oh well, if there's no KYC in AML and you don't know who your who users are, and like, what about like regulation and consumer protections? And I like flipped the question around on him, and, and I was just you know I was like, you know, DeFi is the consumer protection. We've we've moved into this this kind of ecosystem space now where the banks are the ones who hurt their customers and the banks are the ones who are facilitating money laundering. And yet the government wants to currently proposing to track your $600 payment where the United States government wants to know if like your $700 NFT purchase is terrorism financing, but they'll leave tens of billions of dollars of weapons in Afghanistan for the Taliban. So it's, um, as a part of this counterculture type of, uh, Play, I really hope that DeFi kind of um, drives home this point of, you know, we don't need these art, like tyrannical laws to be able to send value to one another for businesses to thrive. And so, you know, this whole idea of not having KYC and AML, which, you know, who knows, it might be, you know, regulation might, might force that upon the companies building DeFi protocols, but the... I really hope, hope it drives home this point that, you know, the commerce really needs to be free and we don't have a free capitalistic system as we, we have originally set out to be. And so KYC AML, for the most part, is, is a dramatic failure and useless if you look at its success rate, which is something like 0.01%. And the banks are the ones doing most of the money laundering. So mm. do we really even need this aspect in our lives? Well, so that brings up a good point. And so I guess part of this ethos of DeFi, you know, it started with uh, trying to bank the unbanked. Uh, and I guess what what is the role of institutions inside of DeFi? Is there even a role for institutions inside of DeFi or, or regulate regulatory roles? What does that look like? I mean, what if DeFi becomes the institutions? Mm, touche. Because, you know, it's not <laughs> happening on ETH with like $200 transaction fees. I mean, try and go to Africa and 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 uh, tell them that you know what your monthly paycheck is how much it's going to cost you to send you know to buy a Coke, just on a transaction fee. That that's not happening. Um, I think institutions will play a role because people, you know, boomers tend to go towards traditional companies that were older than them. They've built a reputation. Millennials tend to go to companies, or now DAOs, I guess, but uh, tend to go to companies that are younger than them, and uh, and more malleable and are able to like turn on a dime. So I, I really think that we're going to start seeing DeFi protocols, fintech companies, essentially, um, become the institutions over time. That's just my sort of uh, take on it. And so I guess globally, what is needed uh, it, right now? Because there does seem to be a little bit of a gray area uh, with, with money sitting on the sidelines uh, in regards to regulatory clarity what would that clarity be and like what is the the most promising thing that a government could say and come out tomorrow and be like hey this is the absolute golden ticket for DeFi. uh we'll kick this to either or the derek or uh bilal we'll have you guys chime in 
Whoa, um, that's a big question. Go ahead, Derek. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I think the best thing the regular regulators could do is, is approach um, some of these groups and just have an open discussion um, and try to understand uh, what's going on here and sort of um, how to work with these so we can work in the best sort of way possible so we can address the concerns of why these institutions were built, which is to protect consumers and understand there are some sort of built-in protections already here and things are very clear and transparent while showing, making sure that we show, hey, you know, let's be very clear about the risk with the data that we have, let's, let's show this. Um, so I think it's, you know, we, ultimately we wanna work with regulators as much as possible. I think, you know, regulation at some point will we'll, uh, approach uh, DeFi. And so I think the best thing would just be, you know, cooperation um, to make sure that we harness as much innovation in this space, because we can see that it's provided so much opportunity for people globally and within, you know, the, the US as well. Um, but I'm sure um, everybody knows someone here that's been massively, profoundly impacted by DeFi in a beneficial way. And it's, it's totally changed their life and now they can do things and everything around them can now be sort of supported by um, some of their gains, so. I'll, I'll step in and, and answer uh, my perspective, which is I think if we had a safe harbor for any project that wanted to release a token, you know, this is something that Hester Purse has promoted and having the three-year safe harbor. If we had that, that would be the opening of the aperture lens in terms of what companies and other organizations, DAOs, what have you, will be able to launch and would be able to build a token. And if we had that, I think that would be kind of the, the change agent that would affect DeFi the most. To, to build on what Michael said, um, you know, I think if the SEC would actually, I wouldn't say stand down, but that safe harbor is, is definitely the, the beginning step. But the SEC is there in order to, quote unquote, protect investors. And yet what they actually do is they keep out 99% of the people from opportunity. And they're just protecting, you know, a, you know the wealthy accredited investors. And the, up, and the, the upside potential is all in the, the early rounds. And yet investors are only given IPO stat, like investors can't even get into IPOs. A retail investor doesn't get into an IPO. They get into buy once it hits the public market and every institution in which, which rich, wealthy individual uh, investor gets to dump on the open market. So if the SEC kind of changes its focus and mandate to, you know, not to protect, to protect investors by going after bad actors and allowing um, startups to move forward in a safe harbor, like Michael said, uh, that would really be a big turnaround, in my opinion, because right now they're, they're even refusing to meet Brian Armstrong. And he's the CEO of a publicly traded company where that's the United States aside. I mean, Gibraltar uh, wasn't was incredible because I was able to actually sit down with the regulator there and we we're able to sit and talk about how we can move forward together. Um, I think we need to see a place where the mentality changes behind, um, you know, con protecting consumers from treating them like they're idiots. That needs to change. Yeah, I think yeah. there's definitely need of more pedagogy into the market. Um, because to be honest, I, I've experienced like kind of both approaches, the one that is fully crypto and the one that is more towards traditional and getting some licenses from the regulators. Um, it's really hard work to discuss with them um, because there are a lot of uh, processing um, at their place than even more than corporates. Um, however, I don't say that we don't need to talk to them, but 
I think how it's gonna end up that that, that there will be there will most probably be like kind of two markets, a super retail market of DeFi, and then also banks that will do the same thing, because uh, between them, um, obviously, um, and 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 it's just reproducing uh, some basic financial instruments with with some crypto exposure because staking is more or less um, kind of a, a life insurance. So. Um, it's like just traditional product with, with crypto and so they're going to do it. They're going to do it their way. And there will be this wild market um, that hopefully will become the institution like Alex uh, said, um, that will, that will live on its side too. Well, Bilal, if we have, you know, oh, sorry, <laughs> if we no, have, ahead, uh, if we have DeFi protocols doing lending against tokenized securities from Equisafe, that that ends up becoming the institution, like you said. You, you know, you don't have to have um, uh, you don't have to go through a rigorous process to get a loan. You could just literally do it in a heartbeat, uh, and you have assets that were never available to the public before in any liquid manner, in any manner actually. Um, we'll see these. We'll see the next J.P. Morgan Chase be a DeFi protocol. Very interesting to, to see what a future like that would be like. I, I know we have definitely touched on the regulatory. Uh, I guess, topic inside of DeFi. I, I am kind of curious to shift here into more forward-looking topics. Like what are we most looking forward to inside of this DeFi space in particular? Om, I'll let you kind of kick things off here. Yeah, okay. So uh, the DeFi, you know, the, the progress have been very amazing lately and the kind of research uh, has been coming around, you know, far from all the DeFi, I think it's stable coins, oracles, lending borrowing, uh, etc. AMMs, right? Uh, that's been very impressive, and it's it's, uh, it's it's you know. But what I'm looking for, obviously, all the things have been impressive. What I'm looking forward to is that uh, all uh, all these kind of research being implemented and been tested. First of all, like I mean, in the DeFi, what happened? If we if we were to just summarize the DeFi, there were just four or five things, like you know, lending, borrowing, uh, AMMs, and these four, six, seven things that came out in on Ethereum. Now then they are version two, version three, version four, and these kind of things are coming out. And the goal is to make uh, enable more liquidity, first of all, and the second is make them more capital efficient, right? And then also kind of uh, create some sort of structured product that uh, users can choose based on based on their risk, ex risk exposure, right? So I think what I'm most looking forward to is, first of all, a lot of education because we still haven't, I mean, there are so many people who are exposed to crypto or who are holding crypto or doing something with it, right? But I'm, I'm, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if even, you know, like uh, even five percent of them are doing things on DeFi, who are lending and borrowing against, you know, let's say their crypto assets and this kind of stuff in a decentralized manner. So first of thing is, you know, a very wide uh, awareness and uh, education and also best practices for both users and smart contract developers because we have been seeing so many hacks being happening, right? So in the present state, I would uh, what I'm looking forward to is a lot of education for both users and developers, uh, best practices, and uh, you know, and then moving forward to build just great products, great research, how to make um, how to make uh, all I like to call them financial decentralized financial instruments. Let's say to make more capital efficient, how to bring more liquidity, right? So that uh, the end users who are going to use them, they can uh, they really would have a chance to just uh, not use 
draw those traditional finance, uh, financial options at all. And then the third thing that's on the top of the mind that I really like to focus uh, is the better UX and UI. You know, for if my father wants to use it, so for my, for example, my father, he lends and borrows through traditional banks, but if I want to enable him, even though let's say we talk about, okay, he's a boomer and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's a major, major part of the major part of the population that we would also, uh, those who are open to try this kind of new things, we should make, uh, make this road as simple as possible, for, as simple as possible for them. Right. And also at the same time for everyone who wants to try it out, because you, if I ask my friends who don't have any crypto exposure at all, you go to a DeFi website and they're like, well, what is the gas fees and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think uh, there are a couple of things, uh, more uh, better products, better security, more education, more announced UI UX. And um, and yeah, I think once we have, you know, all of these things went down in the right way, which which are happening, you know, like in, in plenty, we are very focused around UI UX, secure products and yeah. a lot of things, right? So I think that'd be really cool to see. Definitely. Good deal. Anybody else feel free to jump in. I, I know I, I do want to touch on the topic of NFTs and DeFi's next. So I, anybody feel free to jump in and tell us what you are looking I, forward to next. I, I think something, uh, one of the worst things for society, but one of the most w will play off to be one of the better things for DeFi in the long run um, is that, you know, with this inflation that's coming about and as much as the, you know, they like to call it transitory. Um, and it, it's clearly not, I mean, probably everybody sitting and watching this at home, like, Everyone here will be millionaires on the simple basis of the dollar will be worth a penny. But um, in order, you know, look, we're we're bringing liquidity to trillions of dollars in value that was previously not liquid. And how is that even possible if there's not even enough money in the world to do so? So this kind of like massive printing of money in the last 12 years, really since the 2008 financial meltdown, uh, in one way serves to bring the other side of liquidity to an illiquid market. If all of a sudden all this real estate, all these derivatives, all of these illiquid assets become liquid, there needs to be some form of money to go into them. And so that will kind of, you know, level off another side of the pool of all of this illiquid assets coming forward and becoming liquid and having that amount of capital to be able to trade it. So um, in, I, I guess it's a silver lining so what's going on with the financial catastrophe that we're currently like living through right now, but I think it'll play out for DeFi. Bilal or Derek or Michael, do you guys have uh, any thoughts? No, I wanted to like join you on the next subject because okay. I would mean to democratize DeFi, not having not having it as a as a rule financial instrument, but mainly embedded it in some games, um, mixing NFTs. Um, play to earn and DeFi mechanism incentives, all of that that is making basically the the, the, the ecosystem, the community oriented uh, way of doing things in the crypto. Excellent. How about you, Michael? I, I think that the future of DeFi actually looks a lot more like gaming, uh, where speculation and entertainment collide. That's what play to earn represents. DeFi becomes the utility layer, the infrastructure layer for enabling new consumer applications. And I think this has been talked about a lot, but I think actually games is what brings the next 100 million people into blockchain. And then they start using DeFi without even knowing it. And that, that's kind of the future of DeFi as well. And, you know, financial services, fintech, fintech products are not something that's consumer facing generally. And so having a 
game mechanism or some entertainment or some speculation as the impetus for people to actually come into the space, I think is a huge opportunity. So when's the investment in Dogami, Michael? Sorry? <laughs> when's the investment in Dogami? <laughs> we'll see. He didn't hear about it yet. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, so we'll kind of shift here and pivot over to uh, our last topic here, and then we'll be kind of closing out the panel. Uh, a lot of people have obviously seen what's been happening with the NFT space right now. We heard Michael kind of give his insights as to where he thinks NFT and DeFi will kind of collide next. I'm curious to hear from you all. Uh, is there a role for NFTs inside of the DeFi space? If so, what does that look like? Uh, Derek, we'll go ahead and start with you here. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's going to be um, pretty interesting and just it's going to show how versatile DeFi is. Um, I think NFTs will be fractionalized in some ways. Uh, we can already see this with something like NFTX and there's other platforms doing this. And once you can have, uh, you know, essentially fungible representation of NFTs, um, now sort of they can be plugged into DeFi and the system just like works with it. And it doesn't like, yes, it's, it represents an NFT somewhere, but at the end of the day, it's, it works just like any other token. And that composability just shows you the strength of what's being built uh, with DeFi. Like you don't really have to change a lot of things. And it's just, it just works because the interface is all that it cares about. Um, and because of this, I think you're going to, you're just going to see an explosion of financial use cases for NFTs now. Sort of they have communities, they have DAOs, they, they want to be, um, compensated for a lot of their work. And one of the best ways to do that is to create very liquid markets. Uh, a lot of these NFTs are very illiquid. And so anything that helps bolster the liquidity of these markets enable higher collateralization rates which enable more efficient capital on your NFTs, which ultimately enable you to do more stuff um, around your project in terms of hiring, in terms of marketing, in terms of whatever it is you wanna do. Uh, now you can basically get better rates for your loans, uh, which is something that DeFi has, um, I wouldn't say perfected, but it's something that it's been really good at doing. Uh, and there, there's gonna be you know, uh, little bumps if you look at what happened with Cream and sort of the exploitation there and, uh, you know, millions lost, that is, um, that is something that a product will be built around to fix one of those issues. Cause anytime there's a leak, there are products that are built around having, uh, figuring out how to solve that leak. And that gets so much better over time that is composable with the rest of the ecosystem and it enables an immense amount of innovation. So I think NFTs are going to be vital for getting the next wave of people interested in DeFi where previously they were they were less interested. I'm going to let Bilal jump in because I know you are uh, you know facilitating a play to earn NFT uh, game. So I'd love to hear your insights here as to uh, what that looks like inside of the gaming NFT DeFi space. Um, so basically, what we're building is is a pet simulation uh, game um, that is mobile first. Um, and, and, and the idea, like I was saying just before, it's midway between Tamagotchi and Pokemon Go and Mario Party. So you have a first phase where you just buy a puppy and you have to nurture it. Um, and then the, 
the better care you, you have to your puppy, the more crypto you, you gain. Uh, you can also farm, um, uh, farm different um, uh, accessories uh, with IPs that we're, we're, we're bringing on chain. Um, another fun fact is that we're not working on NFT fractionalization, but we're working on NFT lending. Um, the idea here is when you get to some specific threshold or level, uh, you'd be able to become a dog sitter, uh, which is basically like a lending protocol for, for NFTs, uh, how it's built um, in the game. Uh, so it's another fun part, fun part of what you can do with an NFT. I'm, I'm a huge believer of, uh, of NFT fractionalization uh, also. Um, I'm a big fan of a project called Jenny DAO, uh, which is a DAO where you invest in the DAO with your NFT, and there is a, um, a, 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 a Dutch auction uh, if you're not able to rebuy your, your NFTs, and it also allows you to, to expose yourself to, to a DeFi ecosystem with, a, um, with some fungible tokens backed by NFTs. Um, but yeah, I think also the, the NFT lending and, and embedded in this uh, kind of uh, pet environment or petaverse, like we call it, um, it's going to be it's going to be fun and, and also very pedagogic because uh, it actually has a good story within the game. Excellent. And Omen, Alex, we'll have you uh, with your closing thoughts here. Uh, so regarding NFTs, uh, I think you know. Uh, NFTs are still the entire way of how we are looking at it. They are in a very early stage. So still to, a, to, to, to see a very liquid and composable uh, integration with uh, DeFi uh, as it is current, currently right now, you know, you're still, it is still, still going to take some time. Uh, and as uh, Derek mentioned, the markets are, you know, especially in NFTs, the liquidity, uh, liquidity is uh, really low, but what, I'm looking forward to is, and even in NFT, there are two ways, you know, currently the notion of most of the users have built around the ways that NFTs are expensive or, you know, most of the each NFTs, which have brought the hype, like CryptoPunks and BAYC, etc., they are very expensive. So if I want to use them for, let's say, lending borrowing, I would have to own that, which, you know, not the case going to be case for most of the, most of the users, right? Or, and but, on the Tezos, we are looking at, you know, NFTs that are being bought for $1, $2, $3, $10. And, you know, it's very sustainable uh, NFT economy is building. So, you know, I'm just excited. I don't have any strong opinion. I'm just uh, excited to see how this plays out. And uh, I'm also really excited to, to see projects like what Bilal mentioned, Dogami and all the others, you know, what kind of new innovation, innovative ideas they bring out to basically bring out more liquidity, uh, more uh, new new kind of research and new new sort of products that you know uh, it will integrate both this kind of ecosystem. Uh, but right now, I think it's, it's 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 way too early. And yeah, but you never know the 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 speed of innovation is so fast in this space that maybe after a month we could see something great. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, NFTs, as Om said, it's, it's extraordinarily early in this space. Uh, the fractionalization of NFTs is going to make, you know, DeFi in general for NFTs and loans against NFTs. Um, it's going to facilitate that a lot as, you know, how do you really value, how do you take a loan against a CryptoPunk or a Bored Ape if, you know, okay, you can go by the price floor, but it could change tomorrow. And there's no, if there's no liquid market, then you can't really have a liquidation mechanism to, to, um, uh, to foreclose upon said loan. 
So right now the NFT lending space is primitive, but once fractionalization <laughs> opens up, that'll change. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting when we see NFTs play as uh, like VIP memberships. And if you own the NFT, then you've got some sort of social clout because you've either attended something, been a part of something. Um, it's not, if you look at what Celsius did and uh, crypto.com did with their staking of their coins in order to have different tiered membership ranks, uh, you know, NFTs can do the exact same thing to um, financial platforms, to games. You know, it's not just about the item that you buy, but also the the ranking that you earn. Or in Call of Duty, you could actually end up leveling up a weapon to a certain degree, taking a loan against that weapon, buying another one, leveling it up again, selling it to somebody else. And you're going to see this these these ecosystems of e-gaming as it's growing exponentially tie in with finance and tie in with a with a generation that won't know a world with physical currency. And that, that is going to be something incredible to see in 10 years time. Absolutely fascinating. I know I am so stoked for the future of DeFi and especially that migration with NFTs here, hopefully in the months ahead. Uh, I know there's a lot going on in the e-sports world, e-gaming, uh, play to earn. So a very, very exciting time to be alive, especially inside of the DeFi space. We appreciate everyone joining today's panel. Uh, make sure you give LA Blockchain Summit a follow. I am your host, Benton. We appreciate you joining us today. And uh, thank you all for, for chatting.